Holy cow! I can't believe my eyes. So many people have turned out for the 250th episode of an apple a day. I think they're about to open the famous Apple Studio doors. See you inside. Welcome to an apple a day. A podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to the 250th episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. <laughs> That's right, my friends, 250 episodes of An Apple a Day, and you've been here for every one of them. I am so grateful. I am so appreciative of the fact that that we have made it this far. You know, people told us, and I've said this before so many times, people told us in the beginning that we wouldn't last past seven episodes. They said, who wants to hear about disability? Who wants to talk about disability? One of the things that people don't realize is that even though we have disabilities, when that stuck just talking about disabilities. People with disabilities talk about other things than just sickness and ailments and injuries. We're people, we don't, we don't just talk about our disabilities. We talk about everything. We talk about sports. We talk about families. We talk about friends. We talk about the weather. <laughs> we talk about a multitude of things. People don't realize that. And one of the big mistakes people make is that they call us disabled. They call us disabled people. We are not disabled people. I made that clear, I think, 249 episodes ago. There is no such thing as a disabled person. If you're a disabled person, that means you're broke. We're not broke. We may be a little bit bent. (laughs) But we're not broke. We're people with a disability. We're not disabled people. You know, no different, no different than a person who is overweight. No different than a person who is bald. You know, we have a disability. We have to get around things differently. Maybe we move a little bit slower. Maybe we talk a little bit different. It's a disability. That's all it is. But it it doesn't define us. We're not defined by our disability. We're just a person who has a disability, just like a person who's overweight, a person who's too skinny, a person who has scars. It doesn't make us any different. But anyway, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being here. And I want to thank all the people who get involved with the podcast, all our guests. It's amazing. We've met some some. Very, very, very super people. People who have shown us that even though they do have a disability, they're able to get around the obstacles. They're able to maneuver through life. All right, maybe it takes us with the disability. It might take us a little bit longer to do certain things. It may be a little bit more difficult in in certain aspects, but we're able to do it. We're not just sitting back on our asses and saying we can't. We're giving it the great shot, and we're working at it. Now today, for our 250th episode, I have a great guest. His name is Travis Myers. He's an ex-New York City police officer. 
Now you're saying, what makes him so great? Well, here's the thing. Not only is he an ex-New York City police officer, but he suffers from dyslexia. Now you're saying, okay, a lot of people suffer from dyslexia. Well, not only does he suffer from dyslexia, he made it through the testing to become a police officer. He, he made a career out of being a police officer until a junkie, a drug dealer, cut his finger off. That's right. He lost his finger to a drug dealer. And he's going to tell you all about this in his, in his interview. And as a dyslexic, he's written two books along with his sister. His sister is his writing partner. But he's written two books. He's got a third one coming out any day now. And he's done this as a dyslexic. Now, he could have turned around when he was younger, sat back and said, I have a learning disability. The world's against me. I can't do this. I can't do that. But instead, he took the other route and said, I have a learning disability, so I have to work a little bit harder, but I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to do what I want to do. He always wanted to be a cop. So he worked harder. And he became a detective. And then because of having his finger cut off, they put him out to pasture. And he didn't sit. He, did, he could have sat back then and said, well, I have a disability now. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. No, he decided to write about his exploits, about being a cop in the stories. And he didn't sit back then. He kept on pushing ahead. And that's what this podcast is all about. We're living a happy, healthy life, getting around those disabilities, and Travis is a prime example of this. And that's why I want you to hear this, this interview with him. This guy is amazing. Not only did he become a cop, he went into the Army. He was in the Airborne. I have a lot of respect, and I thank him for his service to our country, but I think he's a nut for jumping out of a plane. <laughs> But that's another story. Him and I discussed that. With the learning disability, he didn't let it hold him back from anything. He could have. He could have taken the easy way out and sat back and, you know, said, oh, support me because I can't do anything because I can't read. I have a learning disability. He did not let that hold him back. He pushed ahead. He pushed around the obstacles and he still does it today. Not only is he he retired, he didn't sit back after he retired. He wrote these books. He bought real estate. He's living the life. And you have to you have to hear him. You have to really listen to him. The guy is down to earth. He's the type of guy that you want to sit on the porch and just talk to. He, he's amazing. This guy is absolutely amazing. And I'm so glad he he was willing to come on the podcast with us. So Without pushing this any further, without putting any more fluff on it, I want you to meet Travis Myers. He's the author of two books. One is Sister Margaret, and the other is Hayden John Marshall. Now, I got to tell you about these books real quick. These books are real crime stories. Now, if you're into real crime stories like me, now, I love things like Law & Order, SVU, Chicago PD. I love those, those TV shows. But they don't hold a candle to these books. Now, books are always better than the TV shows as far as I'm concerned. But these books here, these aren't ripped from the headlines. These are what made the headlines. 
Now, Travis was a cop in the Bronx, my borough, where I was born and raised. No, he never arrested me. I checked on that. <laughs> never even chased me off the corner. But he, he worked the hard part of the Bronx, and he worked in narcotics. And as I said, some junkie drug dealer cut his finger off. This is an interview you really want to hear. He's a funny guy, and he's a serious guy. Without further ado, I want you to hear this, this interview, and I can't explain it any better than the explanation I can give you doesn't hold up to the interview itself. So sit back, relax, and let me introduce you to Travis Myers. Like I said, I have Travis Myers here with me today, and he's the author of two books, Hayden John Marshall, a Tommy Keene novel. Now, he's going to explain to you who Tommy Keene is, and I'm going to give you a little tidbit, just a little thing that I'm thinking, I think Tommy Keene is him, but I'm not going to say anything. And the second novel is Sister Margaret, and... Well, I'm going to let him tell you about something else that's coming up. But that's another Tommy Keene novel. And here's one other thing. Travis was a cop. Now, I shouldn't say was, because you can take the boy out of the blue, but you can't take the blue out of the boy. And that sounds terrible, saying blue and the boy, but how you doing today, Travis? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, Jimmy. How you doing, my friend? Good, good. So, a New York City police officer... And of all places, the Bronx. Now, I'm curious. Did you ever arrest me? <laughs> I'm going to say it was unlikely because we, we, we probably know each other better if that was the case. <laughs> because I come from the Bronx. I know you do. I, I remember. I was born and raised in, in Throg's Neck in the Bronx. Did you? That's ever... where my wife's from. Really? Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's from Balcom Avenue. Right around the block from me. <laughs> We're going to have to talk more about that. Uh, we'll, we'll wait till after the interview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so you were in the Bronx. How, that That's amazing to me. I, when I first read about that, and I said, wow, he's a cop from the Bronx. I wonder if I was ever in trouble with him. Were you ever in the 45th Precinct? No, sir, I wasn't. I was uh, over on the other side. And I worked in Bronx Narcotics, and... In the 4-6 and the 4-4, four, four, all in that area over on the west side. Oh, so you were all around me. You were the 4-4 four, four and the 4-6. You were never the 4-5. Yes. <laughs> right. I'm no. From, I'm, the, no. I'm from the 45th. A unless I was chasing my wife or drinking at a bar, I was never in the 4-5. Ah, did you, ever go, <laughs> did you ever go to the port side bar? I remember it, but I don't know if I drank in there. I remember Alfie's. All right. And what, what was that other place? Ah, the... shame on me. It was a place that was like two blocks from the precinct. Was that the port, port side? Oh, the, no, you think, what are you thinking of the Tally Ho? That was a cop bar. The Tally Ho. There the, you go. The Tally, <laughs> the tally Ho. Yeah, yep. that was a cop bar. No one ever went there except for cops. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but anyway, 
so these books there these books they're amazing now tell tell the truth are you well, Tommy, you. are they are you tommy keen no i'm not now uh my sister may argue that but it's not true um i uh tommy keen and all the characters in the books are actually composites of real people so like i'll take you know three or four different people and squeeze them into one character if that makes sense to you and tommy um, like I say, no, he's not really me. Maybe he's, uh, he's definitely written through my eyes, written through my thoughts, you know, written through my experiences. So there has to be a lot of me in him, but, um, he's not me per se. No. Well, there's a bit, bits and pieces of you in, in. Oh, absolutely. Tommy. I mean, there has to be, there has to be. I, I would say now I, I'm jumping around here, but being that this is a, this is a, podcast for people with disabilities i have to i have to bring this up and i hope i don't embarrass you but you told oh, me not at all you told me you were dyslexic you suffered yes, from sir. dyslexia and you're right Correct. I, well i do suffer from dyslexia but it doesn't go away. right you still do i'm i mean right but you're writing books that that's amazing that, well it's part of it's part of our partnership between me and my sister in that um, she's truly the smart one, and <laughs> I'm the experienced one, you know. So uh, the way we got started with this, um, you know, people would always tell you, you know, you get, yeah, yeah, you're hanging out, you're at a barbecue, you're at a bar, wherever, and people say, oh, great story, man, you should write a book. You know, when you hear that enough times, you start to believe it. <laughs> and I, uh, I reached out to my sister, you know, two or three years ago, and I said, what do you think, kid? You know, would you like to do something with me? Um, and she immediately was all over the idea. And so what I do is I'll write a story, all right, or a part of a story, and then, you know, now these entire novels, and I send them to her, and when she gets them, she'll make the joke, but it's it's the truth. I send her like a 200-page sentence, <laughs> you know, just one sentence of me rambling on and on and on. She takes that and then breaks it down into the way a book should be, has her suggestions, what I should change, what she likes, what she doesn't like. And so it is a true collaboration between her and I, um, and that's really how these novels come about. So, um, but yes, as far as you know, my dyslexia. What do I want to say? It is, it is a hindrance. It is a pain in the ass to have dyslexia, because it never goes away, even though you learn to deal with it. Um, but I actually think, in a lot of respects in my life, it's possibly even been a blessing to me because it makes me try harder. Right. You know, I'm one of those guys. I don't like to be told I can't do something. Right. And, you know, from the, the very early age, you know, from, from as soon as you start school, when you, when you have dyslexia or, or any learning disability, you're behind the eight ball. And so it's always something that you have to fight through, get through, get over and you know, get over. Half of my life has been getting over, you know, trying to get around something. And I think that's actually made me a better or a stronger human being because of it. And that's what I mean by a blessing, even though certainly I, I would rather not have this problem, but it has never hindered me. I think, in fact, it, it just makes me try twice as hard as the next guy. Well, that's the, you know, I know. Did I go off on a tangent? No, not at all. You know what? I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you did say that because that's the whole point of this podcast is, is helping people live a happier, healthier life with a disability. You know, people can step back. You could have sat back. At a very early age, and said, "I have a learning disability." This is that could have been your excuse 
to be a failure. Honestly. Oh, absolutely. And, but, you know, and you know what? We both know many of those people. Exactly. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that is the road that they choose because it truly is a choice. Exactly. You know, I mean, we can't all, you know, necessarily be wealthy businessmen. We can't all be creative artists. We can't all sing and dance, you know. However, you can always find something that works for you, you know. And even the things that you have a passion for, you know, like maybe you can't sing and dance, but maybe you can, you know, uh, manage somebody who does, you know. Maybe you can you can be a great choreographer. I don't know. Be a great coach, even if you can't do it yourself. Right. If you can't play baseball, maybe you can help someone else play baseball. Sure. Sure. If that's what your passion is, why not? Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm very impressed with you because you could have sat back at a very early age. And I know, like you said, we, we, we know too many people like that that'll sit back and take the easy road and say, Everyone's picking on me. It's not my fault. I can't read. I can't do that. If you put your mind to anything, you can get around your op- that that obstacle of being dyslexic. You can get around. I, abs- I absolutely believe that, Jimmy. I absolutely believe that. And and not again. You're bringing this up, so I don't want mm-hmm. to sound like I'm patting myself on the back. All right. No. But, um, you you, know, you myself, deserve I went to. to pub- I went. I went to public school in New York City. I have a ninth grade education. I went to Julia Richmond High School, and I dropped out in the ninth grade. Shame on me, right? But, you know, I, I went into the, the military, the Army, because at the, at the time, you know, back in the 80s, you could still do that. Unfortunately, you can't right. do that anymore. And I got my GED, and it was tough for me. But the Army helped me because the Army was a tough place. So it, was, it actually helped to push me to do the right thing. I had to do some remedial math stuff and, and nonsense like that for my MOS. MOS is, I don't know if you're in the military yourself. Yep. It's part of your job. It's your military occupational specialty. But they sent me to school. The Army was great for that, sending you to school to get over these problems. And they helped me out tremendously. And, um, you know, from there I came out and, you know, I went into cops and the rest is history. But even then, I kept it to myself, you know. And I studied twice as hard. I tried twice as hard. And I was sitting in the academy next to guys who had already graduated college who were, you know, almost flunking out. And here I am. I got that little silly gold braid that they put on your uniform for graduating in the top 10%. <laughs> there you go. Why? Because I tried a little harder. I, if, the, if the teacher said, read the book, I read the book. Right. That was it. No matter how miserable it was to do so. Right. Well, you know, you had, a, you had, the, you had an edge, though. Going into the service teaches you discipline. And that's something Absolutely. that's lacking today. Absolutely. I, had, I agree with you there. I had a guest on my, my, the last guest actually that I had on the podcast was a young lady that went into the army and she said she could have went one or two ways. She could have went the street or she could have went the way she went. She went, she went into the army herself and she learned discipline. She says for basic training every day, she learned discipline. And that discipline carried over into the civilian life for her afterwards. And she's doing phenomenal compared to her friends. And she's just a very, very, very nice lady. She's a young, young lady. Very nice. She's a mom. She's a, a, a teacher, I believe. And it's just changed her life. And I think, you know what? When I was younger, I hated the draft. But I, I believe now as an older person... That the draft is is a, is an invaluable tool. 
it could change a well, lot you know, of the problems that we have right now. That's for sure. What I've always thought, okay, and I believe, is uh, I think that we should still have a draft, but not in the necessarily in the military sense. I think in the military slash public service sense, where maybe if at the age of you know 18, when you get out of college, uh, high school rather, um, most of us have no clue what we want to do with our lives, you know. Nope. And if you had two years of service where, yes, you could go in the military if you wanted, but you could also go into something similar to the Peace Corps or just a national corps where, you know, you, you built houses for the homeless. You, you know, flipped eggs and fed people. You did something. You, were, you know, worked for the Postal Service. I don't know. You know, we can come up with a, different, a million different jobs you could do, but you had to do it. And you got paid next to nothing to do it, but absolutely everybody in the country had to do it. You know, an ex- a, 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 a must-do type thing. I think we would have a much better class of citizen. You I really do. You couldn't do that today. Or you couldn't do it today because people would fight it, you know, tooth well, and nail. But if you did, if you did, just imagine the ability to get out and be your own. One of the best things about the military is that you are truly your own person. At the age of, you know, 17, 18, 19, right. whenever you go in, you're your own person. There's no more mom and dad to take care of you. Right. You're on your own. And you learn responsibility. You learn discipline. Um, yes, it's jammed down your throat, but a lot of people really need that, you know. And uh, there's certain things that that they help you with at such a young age that, unfortunately, you're not taught by your parents. Well, one of the know? things that happen, and a lot happen, of people really need that. Yeah, parents have to throw their kids out at a certain age. Make them spread sure. <laughs> spread their wings and throw them out of the nest. Let them come back, but for a time being, they have to get out of the nest. And get out there and be on their own. You could never, you could never enact what you were saying right now. I mean, make them go out and serve eggs and breakfast to people for nearly nothing. They're looking for sure. fifteen dollars right now to flip a <laughs> burger know. at McDonald's. I know. <laughs> These are jobs that were never meant to be careers. You know. Oh, absolutely not. And the sad thing too with that. Again, a whole other subject, maybe right. getting a little political. I don't know if you want to go there right. on your show. But <laughs> the problem with that is not that I'm opposed to a minimum wage or people being paid what they deserve, but they've stolen the jobs from the teenagers. Exactly. Teenagers can no longer have those jobs because a a, a store owner can't afford to pay a 16-year-old $15 an hour. It doesn't make sense. The person's never had a job in their life. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you could you yeah. could work your way up to that. There, Absolutely, yeah. you could work your way up to that. There, there's no crime in that. But to make you start out at fifteen dollars an hour, that's absolutely insane. That <laughs> I agree. I mean, I agree. My wife used to own a store, and if she had to pay the employees fifteen dollars an hour, the store would have closed the day it opened. Oh, sure, it would have crushed them. Don't get me wrong. This is a this is a podcast about disability, but I want to make something clear, and I, I've tried to make this clear in other podcasts as well. Disabled people don't just talk about disability. Disabled people, well, people with disabilities aren't disabled people. They're just people with disabilities. They correct talk about other things besides people are people are people. Exactly. You know, and and everybody everybody it's a strange thing. We're all very different, and yet all very much the same at the same time. Exactly. We all have our own private hopes, dreams, aspirations. We're also living the shared experience 
of our world, our city, our neighborhood, our country, whatever it is, wherever you're listening at right now, I don't know. In the end, you're very proud of where you come from, and we do live a shared experience. It's, I think, the media and nonsense like, like that that tries to divide us more and make us feel that we're not the same. Exactly. If that makes sense to you. It, it most certainly does. Anyway, let that, I just want to touch back on this dyslexia with you. Now, Please go ahead. Evidently, you you found ways around this disability. But when you were working as a police officer, did you find that it was a bigger problem for you? Than... Um, well, by the time I became uh, joined the police department, you know, I was already an adult. I had made it, you know, made it through my, my high school years, made it, you know, and going to high school in, in New York City is an experience upon itself. <laughs> yes, it you is. Know? It is. <laughs> and then, uh, what are they saying? Then, you know, I made it through the Army. I had been a civilian for time. I worked in bars and nightclubs and construction. I had different jobs and then I became a cop. So I was pretty attuned at taking things on and getting through whatever problem I had to get through. And so for me, no, it, it really didn't hurt me too often. I mean, yeah, uh, as far as, as both writing and typing, you know, I made massive amount of typos. But that's of, uh, things because when I would read over, I would make mistakes. Well, that's know? what I was getting at, but, the writing the But reports. one of the big things that, that, again, the way you learn to get over on things and get over on life, and almost usually in the police department, we still work in teams. You have a partner, which is a team of two when you're a cop. You know, and then later on, when you get into SNU or anti-crime or narcotics, you know, you work in teams. And like, uh, you know, for years, my partner, Nikki, he would do the typing. I would do the printing. Okay. The printing was the physical thing, you know, because back then we still used to print on, on paper cards with ink, you know. And, uh, you know, about I would print printing. everybody. Finger Fingerprinting, exactly. Right. Yeah, I would do the printing and he would do the typing. Cool. You know, when I got into in, into narcotics, everybody had their own different kind of teams. Now you're working with a team of like five or six people at the same time. And again, I was the print guy because by, by that time I was the master printer. <laughs> you know, I'd gotten so good at it. I would do everybody's prints and nobody wanted to do the prints. It was the less desirable job. So Travis did it and they did the typing for me. They helped me out un unknowingly or unwittingly helped me out with my shortcomings while I did the dirty work for them. Excellent. <laughs> as long as it all and got everybody done. was happy right. everybody was happy yeah it always worked and that's just one example but you know it's it's there's always a way to do it and then dyslexia also just like education has nothing to do with intelligence you know i've met many many incredibly well-educated people who are morons and i've met uh, many dyslexic people who are either very intelligent and or not so intelligent right however believe it or not dyslexics do tend to be more intelligent and i think it's part of the thing where again we're trying we're trying so hard to achieve things that we become overachievers right does that make sense to you yeah you sure. know, I mean, george Patton. george Patton is very famous dyslexic you know i didn't know that. And, uh, yes he was yeah oh there's many many famous dyslexics because and i think again it's part of the part of the makeup is that you become an overachiever because you try you try that much harder than others did it was anyone else in your family dyslexic you know what? My father um, was never diagnosed, but he had, I guess I could say, problems. How's that? Okay. And, you know, he had problems all through his life that he, remembering back, junior high school, high school, whatever, he had difficulties. And evidently your sister doesn't have it. No, she does not. Oh, by the way, your sister's name is Natasha. Women, 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 <laughs> Natasha, I, I, correct. Right, I don't want to just keep saying your sister. That girl. No, my, my lovely <laughs> sister Natasha. Right, right exactly. And uh, dyslexia is does affect both sexes, but does tend to affect males more. 
Does it? Huh. That's an interesting yes. fact. Now, were you and your sister always close growing up? That's a yes to no. Me and my sister have been on and off best friends for our entire lives. But because I think because it had more to do with the she's almost four years younger than me. And like, if you remember, especially, you know, you're a Bronx guy, so you'll know there's like, I call it like the five year gap. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it happens everywhere, but especially when you have your, like your street friends, so to speak, you know, you kind of have this group of guys and girls who all hang out together. And the youngest is like about five years younger than the oldest. Right. You know, so there's 15 year olds that are still hanging out with people who are 20 years old. And then there's this jump where that, that ends and there's a whole other five-year group below. I was in the five-year group above. My sister was in the five-year group below. Oh. So in our teenage years, we just had all different sets of friends. You know, so we weren't, although we loved each other, we ate dinner every night at our, at our house, you know. We weren't, she didn't share the same friends that I had. Right. It was just a different group altogether. And I, that, I think that really had to do with, like, my brother and myself were the, some of the younger guys of our group. Okay. If that makes sense to you. Right, right. You know, it's funny because you're saying this, and I'm sitting here thinking about my group of friends, and I'm, I'm, I, I know exactly what you're thinking, what you're saying. Yeah, like, I mean, you, you may have, again, you might all be running up and down Tremont Avenue. I have no idea if you have brothers or sisters. I have, Not, I have six. <laughs> you know, oh, so, okay. So you, you, you were, I bet you were close to maybe one or two. I was. And I don't mean close, you know, within the family, but on the street. There were different groups. Your 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 eldest, if you weren't the oldest, had no. very different friends than the youngest. Of There's course. no getting around that with with six kids. Of course, yeah. of course. And, and you're saying the five year gap. I had a sister that was five years older than me, and we were the closest. And that's what I'm saying. I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking, and I'm saying I'm, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, it's it's almost like a little mini generation, right? You know. Nice. Where, you know, my, my, my sister, sometimes I'll be telling these stories, and she says, well, where, where did this ever happen? I said, it happened three blocks from where you grew up. But she was removed because she was part of that younger group. So she missed all of it. Right. You and your sister, did either one of you have any formal training in writing? No, none and, whatsoever. Really? Um, I, again, you know, I never graduated high school. And my sister did take some college. She graduated high school, and uh, she went on to college. But it was just community college stuff, and she never got a degree at all. And, in fact, I think she left college to go to beauty school and became a hairdresser, and she left that, and she's now – she works for uh, the electrical union. You would, ne- you would never job. know it by reading the book because the book is so well put together. Well, thank you very much. But yeah. there is a process to that, too, in that, like I say, I, I write the story. My sister, who is who is an avid, avid reader – I mean, reading is, in, is part of my family right. outside of me. My mother, you know, would read five books a day. I'm, I'm sorry, five books a week, you know. <laughs> and my sister is does, does the same. She just runs through books. My mother-in-law is the same. My daughter is the same. All the girls are big readers. So I think some of that rubs off. It has to, right? And then, of course, when she's done with it, we send it to a professional editor who says, look, guys, you know, your punctuations are off. Maybe you shouldn't use this word. Maybe you should use that word. Nay. They repatch it, so it's been patched up like three times before it goes to press. Oh, sure, sure, but you know? that's normal. And that's that's what everybody does. Right. Exactly. Nothing ever goes out the first time, you know, one shot no, deal. No. Nothing. And you certainly wouldn't want the stuff that I put on paper the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even even the podcast the podcast doesn't go out the first time. It doesn't go out just as it is. 
I mean, I'd like to say the you got to polish it up a little bit. Exactly, right? everything, everything. Yeah. But it's so well put together. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm listening. I read your, I read your bio, and I'm seeing that you're dyslexic. And then I figured, well, maybe your sister is a professional writer, because the books are so well put together and the chapters are so succinct. But everything falls right into place. It, well, thank you, thank you very much. I'm glad you, I'm glad you enjoyed them. I, I, I'm telling you, it's not just, it's not. I'm, I'm very picky like that, and and I know that's probably like OCD on my part or something. I'm anal or whatever you want to call it. But I read the book because I love to read. But I read the book. I also look at the way it's formatted and everything. I, like I said, I'm anal about things like that. And it just falls right into place. It's such an easy read. Both books. Great. It, Great. Well, that's it, what I like to hear. It's, it's, it's such an easy read. There's certain books like I love The Godfather, the, the book. The movie, The Godfather. The book, The Godfather, sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. It was terrible. But I love the movie. But your books, the two books, they just fall right into place. And it's like you get to the end of a chapter and you have to turn to the next chapter. Great. It's, well, again, we I've heard that before and that, that I really love hearing that, that it's a page turner, that you have to find out what goes on. Right. You I mean, they are... They are fairly small books, but I think we pack a lot into them. You do, because you can't just stop. You can't stop and say, well, all right, I'm going to read chapter four, and I'm going to stop there. Because you come to the end of chapter four, and you say, well, I'll read a couple of pages of chapter five. Next thing you know, you're on chapter seven. You know? <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> you know, and it's it's just, and it, that's what I like about it. Those are, those are my kind of books. Those are the ty- type of books. I eat those books. Well, it was kind of part of what we wanted to do, too, when we put it together. Some of that is, is quite intentional. And where I'll, I'll fill you in with that is that when we decided to do it, we talked, you know, first, well, geez, do we do a, you know, like a, a memoir type thing where it's like, you know, Travis's life in the police department. I write 600 pages, everything that I ever did, blah, 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 blah. But believe it or not, police work can be quite boring. Mm-hmm. And even a, even a man's life, as interesting as I may be, okay, you know, there's a lot of lulls in it. So we decided, no, let's make it fictional. That way we can do more of whatever we want, but also we can make these these cases. I call them cases because that's basically what they are. The book is a case. Right. I can take three or four or ten different stories, braid them into one story so things are happening, happening, happening. Because I steal everything from reality, you know, but basically I, I pl- plagiarize real life. I think, and most people seem to think, that they ring true. They feel realistic to them. And the power of that, I think, is what pulls you through the book, is that you're like, holy crap, what's going to happen next? And you have to turn the page. But then you, as the reader also, were only committed to a 200, 250, 300-page book as opposed to an epic saga of my life, Right. which which would get tiresome after a while. Volume three of the Bible. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But you know what what I was going to say, and you, you just said it. You make this Tommy Keen a very real character. Tommy, well, we tried to. Well, we he, try to. You, you, know, you we'll... succeeded because you you sit there and you're rooting for him, actually. You know, Good. You, you've made him a, like a likable character. That's the word I was looking for, a likable character that you can actually say, what are you going to do next? It's kind of like right. if, you ever, if you ever watched um, SVU, Law and Order SVU. 
Sure. You get caught up in the character's life, it, uh, like Olivia or or Carisi or whoever. You get caught up in their lives, and you know what? You like you're looking to see what they're going to do next. That's what I with this Tommy Keen. That's what I'm looking at. I'm going. I. It's like you feel for him. You're almost empathetic for what he's going through. I. It's, well, I think you know. Again, granted, we write the books, you know, so we're we're rather tied to Tommy. But um, I think again, that's the idea too. He is well. Part of it is both of us being uneducated. We don't know. The proper formula. But so you, you, know, you found it. I, but well, we found it, and we just talk what we know, you know. And Tommy has, you know, his ex-wife, his daughter that he loves, his ex-wife that he still loves, his mother. He has these characters, and everybody does, you know. Why wouldn't you add them? Why? Why? Sometimes you'll 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 see something in film or in a book or whatever that's almost so singularly about the hero that the rest of his life is forgotten about. Right. But all of those parts of his life is what makes him who he is or who she is. Right. You well, know? see, not knowing, not knowing all the formulas and just doing it is probably what makes you a success with this. Because the people... Uh, well, again, that's, that's kind of what I was trying to say. If I was told how to do it, I probably wouldn't succeed. Exactly. Since I don't know what I'm doing, all right, and I just tell a great story, you know, again, once it's patched up and written properly, I think they're pretty solid stories. So and, and thank, thank, thank God, we're so happy that people are responding to them. It's been a very, very positive thing for us. And in fact, we're shocked. We did it kind of as a goof, to tell you the truth. Well, you, you know, because we were bored and we wanted to try something, but it's taken off and become very, very popular, which we are ecstatic about. Well, you goof backfired on you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a goof on you because people love them. People love the books, and now. You have another book coming out. Yes, sir. Actually, next week, March 10th. What's March the... 10th is uh, Jenny Black, and it's the third in the series. And uh, it's Jenny Black because if you notice, every book is named after the victim. Right. So rather than coming up with some fancy, you know, books, and I'm not trying to knock any other authors. I don't think I'm doing that. But they always come up with like a really gripping title. Well, we kind of wanted to keep with the victim because the victim is what the book is all about. Right. Or what the book should be about, you know, that. So we want to pay homage to the victim. And when I say that, it's the victim of everything, everywhere in the world, you know. And so we just simply named every book after the victim of this whatever horrific crime it may be. No. And um, and they are horrific. That's the other thing, too. You know, sometimes we'll get feedback that, oh, it's kind of tough. It's kind of dark. It's crime. If you're a crime fan, it's for you. If you're not a crime fan. Maybe it's not for you. But if you like crime, this is what we're writing. Now, I got a question for you. That, that, that was also on my list. These crimes, <laughs> or the, these massacres, um, are these things that you saw firsthand in the yes field? Yes and no. Okay, so that's going to be a yes and no. Like I said before, everything is a composite. Right. So some of these stories are taken directly from real cases. Yes. Okay. Now, some of them might be, in fact, if you just think of the prologue of uh, Sister Margaret, right. you know, so you know that. Um, the situation with the dogs, terrible. Did happen. Almost exactly that did as did happen. Happened to my brother. Did happen. Ooh. Okay. That was my brother's case. Okay. The part that happened in the bar later on, I'm, I'm not going to give anything away here, but since you know what I'm talking right. about, that actually happened to me. Only a totally separate case. 
And what I did is I put them together to create a better story. Oh. You see, I could tell you one of those stories in three minutes, you know? Right. But by, by braiding two or three stories together, now I've got 10 or 15 pages. Uh, you see? And I kind of just you. put them together. So it, it works smoother. So it's and, like, um, part like... of Hayden John Marshall, okay, part of that is stolen from the papers, okay? Um, you know, but it, it, it was something that happened in the Bronx. It was something that I was familiar with. But it was not my case, you see. But I knew everything around it. I know the block. I know the area. I know the people. I know the detectives. I know whatever. And so I just take the story. I completely bastardize it into something else. But that's where I got it from. My inspiration was from a real case that happened and that I can go back to and read in, you know, the New York Post. So these stories are like your Frankenstein monster. You take pieces and pieces and pieces Perfect. and put them together. Exactly. Exactly. You hit it. You got it exactly right, Jimmy. It's a Frankenstein monster put together of, again, my experiences, my brother's experience, my friend's experience, you know, stories that you've heard time and time again around the Thanksgiving table or around the bar somewhere. And I just, you know, change them around. Wow. That's all. Well, I'll tell you what, you're a master at it. You and, oh, you well, and thank the, you, sir. You and thank Natasha, you. you and Natasha were masters at this because these stories are unbelievable, and if you're if you're a hardcore fan, and I know plenty of people that are hardcore fans of of crime, crime fans, be, and you know that they're out there because these SVU and Law and Order, they're big time shows. Oh, it's a giant, giant genre. In fact, true crime is like one of the most popular things now, and. and when I, when I say unfortunate, I don't want to say unfortunately. So I take true crime and I completely make it fictional. But and, quite often when you're watching your things on Netflix or or wherever, you know, the, the yeah. million things that you can watch on TV now, sadly, quite often they do take the truth and jazz it up for our, our media consumption. And then it's no longer the truth. And to the point where it's where it's I'm, actually... I'm lying on purpose. Yeah, I'm lying on purpose. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I admit to it. But because it is fiction. But quite often uh the true crime that you're watching is not always historically correct. How's right. That? Well the, the, it becomes horse crap. Because Exactly. I mean, I'm not a, I'm I'm not a cop. Never was a cop. But I'm looking at some of these shows going, You're wrong. You you're wrong. You can't get away with that. You know, yes. We, my wife and I love to watch, and I keep on bringing her best view because my wife is a Chris Melanoni fan, and you know, yeah, I like watching the show. We watch it. We binge watch the whole thing up until the current season now. But um, you watch it, and you're going, you can't do that, especially in New York. You can't do half the stuff they say that they're doing. And oh, of course not. No, you know, it's. It's it's farcical, well, like you, some you, of it. You, you mentioned before um, the SVU the series, you know, mm -hmm. wildly popular series. Oh, what I wouldn't have given to work in such a nice precinct. I mean, physically, <laughs> yes. everything is so nice. I've never been in an ADA's office that was so nice, you know. <laughs> uh, they, they were little, you know, nine by nine cubicles with no windows, you know, and, and we, that would never work on film, obviously, but they make it so luxurious. One of the, one of the more realistic shows, and I know you're going to, remember this and probably be a big fan barney miller i was just half gonna hour sitcom, I was just gonna say that half an hour silly little sitcom very very realistic to to a real detective squad 
I was just going to say that. Yep. It looks it, it feels it. You have all the different characters and all their different backgrounds and, and worlds that they came from, and they all come to work on the same day, you know? And I, I really think Barney Miller is, is, well, not necessarily an underrated show because it was a tremendously popular, popular show, but underrated as far as its realism towards the, the NYPD. Right. Very realistic show, Barney Miller. That was, that, that was actually one of my favorite shows. I used to love that. Oh, hilarious. Uh, hilarious show. But the, um, now this new book coming out. Now this this is also a Tommy Keene book. I, I think I Correct. read yesterday. Yes, yes, sir. And that takes takes place in the Bronx as well. No, they all take place in. Remember, Tommy Keene's from the Bronx, but he gets transferred to the the fictional two three precinct. Oh. Uh, two one precinct. He starts off in the five three, which is not a real precinct in the Bronx. He goes down to the 2-1, which, again, is not a real precinct in the Bronx. But for the most part, it's set in the Yorkville section and the bottom of Spanish Harlem section of Manhattan on right. the east okay. side. Okay. And that was part of his punishment when he got – again, I don't want to get into things, but he got, he had to, he got the boom right. Right. in the beginning of Sister Margaret. Right. Um, and so, yes, all of these, these cases take place there. And so you, you have the good – as far as readers go – and you know, fans across the country, around the world, you have the the ability in this neighborhood where you can deal with, you know, very poor people and very rich people at the same time. <laughs> Which you know, where you know where where I worked in the Bronx, that was not the case. Now, I just want to veer off of this for a second because going back to your career now, yes, now, you got hurt on the job. Yes, sir, I did. You, well, I'm going to let you tell the story. Okay. I, well, I was I was in narcotic. Well, you want to just to start? Or you got a question? No, go ahead. I'll let you tell the story. Because my okay. question was going to be how exactly it happened. But go ahead. Well, I was, I was, uh, I was working narcotics at the time. I was a detective in narcotics. And um, we, that, the particular night we were doing the buy and bust operation. That's where you have undercovers go out. They buy narcotics, you know, off of drug dealers. And then us investigators pull up in our cars and we jump out and lock everybody up, you know? Um, and on that day, my partner and I, partner Nikki and I did pulled up outside of a building. I believe we were working the four seven precinct at the time, um, which is a little further North and a little further. What would it be East? And we usually worked and, uh, we pulled up and we were sitting in the P van, the prisoner van at the time, which is just a, uh, our prisoner vans are not very fancy. They're simple cargo vans with nothing in the back. Mm-hmm. And we could see guys pitching right in the doorway where we parked. Uh, pitching, rather, selling is what I want to say. Right. You know, they were selling. And so we put over the radio, hey, we got two over here. We're going to check them out. You know, no big deal. It's what we do every night, right? You know, tough narcotics guys. <laughs> so we get out of the van, and we go up to the door. Now, uh, it's probably like a 40-family building in the Bronx, you know? And you know how they have the little courtyard in the front. So right. I walked through there, and I went in first. I had my hood pulled up over my head. And the fella in the vestibule and again for listeners who aren't unfamiliar vestibule is the there's a door where you enter the building that keeps the cold out and then there's a door with a, a locked door to, to let you into the building just so you can get the feel of what it is again people who don't know what i'm talking about so as i enter the door there's a fella uh, sitting down eating chinese food um across the the vestibule the entranceway and he yells 5050 because the guy that was at the door had his back to me never saw me coming Five hour course is the police. 
this young man just turned around and kicked the door closed as hard as he could as I was pushing it open. It's a big steel wrought iron door, you know, probably weighs 200, maybe more pounds. Bang, comes down on my hand, takes my index finger off, smashes up my middle finger pretty bad. Um, you know, I screamed, ouch, you know, whatever it is. I <laughs> ouch. So I, I, I used some more, uh, uh, some stronger language than that. All right. <laughs> I and, hope. but, you know, I, boom, I was done. I was incapacitated. They took off into the building, you know. I get my finger. Uh, <laughs> my my partner runs up behind me. Oh crap! Let's get in the, let's get in the van. Get in the van. Get in the van. You know he's all excited. We get in the van. He drives like a hundred miles an hour over to Montefiore Hospital. And this actually would have been hilarious if it was on television, because for some unknown reason, I got in the back of the P van. And again, it's just a wide open van. There's nothing in there. It was the beginning of the night. There were no prisoners in there. There's nothing but me. And I don't know why I got in there. I don't know why he allowed me to get in there. <laughs> But now he's going as fast as he can, stopping at every stop sign and stopping at every red light to make sure we don't get T-boned. And I'm sliding and flying all over the back <laughs> of his van, holding my bloody finger in my bloody hand, you know, uh, to my chest, telling Mickey, slow down, slow down. <laughs> Bouncing all, and we were only about, you know, 15, 20 blocks away from where we had to go, but it was quite a ride. All right. And uh, like I said, maybe a mile if that. But we get there. I mean, maybe not. 45 minutes, an hour later, my finger's reattached. I'm pumped up, you know, with painkillers and, uh, you know, uh, whatever kind of drugs they put in me. And eight months later, I'm out of a job. Jeez. That was it. Now, they reattached your finger. Correct. Is your, is your finger usable? Yes and no. It, it, you know, it works for the most part, but from my... My middle joint to my the end of my index finger, it doesn't move anymore. Uh, okay? okay. And it never got the feeling back and that I can feel something, but it's kind of like, you know, when your foot's asleep, yep. that tingly feeling, yep. it's like that all the time. Now, it doesn't bother me anymore, but for years it was very annoying because it's not a nice feeling, as you know, because everybody's had their foot fall asleep. It's not a nice feeling to have, but you get used to things. You know, I mean, it's been 20 years now, so I'm, I'm very used to it. And now, was, so. that, was that on, like, your trigger finger? That was my trigger finger, yes. Yeah, so. And so the way it works, okay, and um, uh, in the police department, as many many union jobs, if you can't do your job, you can't do it at all. Right. If you can't do it 100%, you can't do it at all. That's just the way the union works. And then, again, the way the city works is not that they care at all about Travis Myers because the city – I'm just a number. They don't care about me at all. I'm just one of – you know tens of thousands of employees that they have to deal with. Um, but what they're more, more terrified of are Lawsuit. possible lawsuits, lawsuits, any litigation. Correct. Exactly. So God forbid if I was hurt, you know, uh, or killed because of a bad shooting or I couldn't get my gun out or whatever happened, mm -hmm. my wife would sue for, you know, $600 million. Conversely, if I had, you know, got into a shootout or a shooting and something went bad, you know, the, uh, uh, person that was injured or shot or killed would also sue for, you know, right. $60 million or whatever. Right. So they're just like, you know what? You got a problem. You're going to have a nice life. Yeah. But you do get to keep your pension. So that's not bad. It's called three quarters. You keep your pension. You keep your medical benefits. It's a very good deal. But never what you could have made if you were allowed to continue to work. If you, right. Right. You see? So my, my pension is like half of what it would have been. Had I stayed on for the full time and, and I, you lose your annuity, which is a lot of things we can get into that your listeners probably wouldn't know what I'm talking about right. anyway. But, but you lose a lot of benefits 
at the same time, you still get to have a tremendous amount of benefits considering that you're no longer working. Well, so I can't complain. I'm not, I'm not bitching at all. It's a tr- the police department does take care of their people when they're injured, and it's a really good deal that I got. So I'm not complaining at all, and as well especially should. since it was only my finger. As well you know? they should. I mean, it was only your finger. It was your finger. You know, <laughs> I mean, as well, they should take care of you. You, If you weren't a cop going out and doing this, I doubt very much. It's like if you were, if you were uh, I don't know, a plumber, you wouldn't have been there that night going into the vestibule. You Correct. were, you were out there as a police officer doing your job and this mook shut, shuts the door on you and chops your finger off. Right. So that's, that's it. And then we also have things like that people don't realize. It's called the fireman's law, um, which I assume most states have. Uh, but it applies to police officers also, where we can't sue anyway. Right. So I couldn't sue the building. I can't, I can't look for damages because it's my job to do stupid things. Right. right. Dangerous things, risky things. It comes with the territory. So you can't get hurt on the job and then go sue somebody civilly you know, no. later on because you put yourself in that spot by taking the job. And therefore, the job takes very good care of you, you on, know, if on, you are, God forbid, hurt. On that note, if you got hurt on the job, just say, you know, put this aside for a second because this is crazy. You chopped your finger off. But just say you were doing something in the police station and you wrenched your back or something like that. Are you eligible for workers' comp? Yes, they have. It's, everything in the police department is different in that um, you go out on a medical pension. Okay, so three quarters, three quarters of what I have is a line of duty injury. Okay, right. but let's say I was, you know, I'm going up the stairs or what? They just knock the stairs. I come tumbling down the stairs. I break my back. They, you know, they give me a spinal fusion. Blah 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 blah. That would be a medical, as opposed to a three quarter. I don't know. You know what? I think I think I'm wrong with that. I think I'm wrong with that. So I think that would be a three quarters. I don't want to ruin your show here by putting out bad information. Mm. But if I'm, let's take the same scenario, okay? But I'm not hurt in the building. I'm hurt while I'm off duty, you know, and, uh, you know, walking down the the stairs of my building and I fall because the the super just mopped the floor. Then I could, of course, sue the building, Right. all right? But my job, forcing me off the job, would give me a medical pension, which is 50% of your earnings from then on. All right. So they're not a bad deal, but you're medical off. But there's no, there's no say workers comp in a, in the police department. There's either three quarters. No, because you, because three quarters or half pay, right. which is probably a better deal than workers comp. Yeah. But, in the end, without a know. doubt, just like we have <laughs> a thing too. And I, again, I don't want to put out bad information and I know it changes all the time and I've been out for 20 years anyway, but we have, we had a thing that was passed. I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, called um, the heart bill. And so if you have a heart attack, uh, you know, while on the job, not at work necessarily, just in the job in general, you're a medical doff. You're gone because they don't want they don't want happening. They don't want happening again, you know. Right. And uh, it's a very, very high stress job. So if you're already prone to having heart attacks, have a nice life. You're gone. And they give you they only give you half your pay as opposed to the larger benefit package that you'd have later on, depending on how many years you work. Even if you or had the, three quarters, even or if you, three quarters like I got. Even if you, you had the heart attack where you were working? Uh, against specifics, I couldn't tell you uh, for sure. Okay. You know, so. Wow. 
See, I, I never, I, I never really questioned it. I never knew it, whether or not there was a workers' comp or it was something else. Uh, but that interesting, interesting. I, I just well, just like we don't have we don't have a four hundred one k either. We have a thing called deferred compensation, and again, it could have changed a, a dozen times since I left. Right. But we had deferred compensation, and deferred compensation was basically the same thing, but it was city city run, union run, had its own name, its own thing. And there were different rules as opposed to a 401k you would get from a bank or from most jobs. All right. And uh, the specific is I, the specifics I couldn't tell you, but it is it, the police department, the city in general is a world of its own. You know? Huh. So. Now, one other thing I wanted to ask you, you joined the army. Yes, sir. And you went into airborne. Yes. I was a paratrooper with the 82nd airborne division. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> uh, some say so. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, they call Marines jawheads, okay? But Marines stay on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. You guys go up in planes and jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Yeah. And then you get yes, on the do. ground, you pat each other on the back, and you punch, punch wings into each other's chest. Correct. Yeah, you're you're very familiar. I'll, I'm, trust me, I know. You, you're so nuts. <laughs> what made you? Did you volunteer for that, or was that something they said? Oh, you that? have to. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't. Uh, even when you go airborne, if you decide it's not for you, you can quit at any time. Really? Because you, you're considered a double volunteer. You volunteer to go into the army, right? And then you volunteer to go airborne. And um, it's not for it's a very unnatural thing to throw yourself out of an airplane. You know, some people love it, some people hate it, some people just tolerate it. You know, um, and uh, what was I going to say? But it is a very unnatural thing. And sometimes people may do it, you know, 10, 20 times, and this the fear gets to them. They say, "I can't do this anymore." You are allowed to leave, and they'll send you back to the regular army. Do you, you know? It's very rare, but I, I I know that you can. Do you still do it? Because you simply can't do it. No, I've never done it again after I got home. <laughs> and for me, it wasn't, it wasn't, I'm going to say, I mean, I was always afraid. Anybody that says they're not afraid is, is truly crazy. <laughs> but it is a very thrilling experience. Um, for me, joining was kind of, a, you know, I was like a, a, I guess it was like a test. I want, you know, to test my steel, to test my manhood. What would John Wayne do? You know? <laughs> John Wayne John, would, well, John Wayne he would collect a paint check there. and go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know the character. One of his characters, you know, and he was he was uh, in D-Bay. He was the, the major in the Eighty-Second Airborne Division. So I said, yeah, that's 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 for me. You know, at seventeen, that seemed like the coolest thing I could possibly do. Wow. And funny enough, when I tested on the on the ASVAB thing, you know, the, the test that they give you, they wanted me to be an operating room assistant. The guy was so proud of me. I tested so <laughs> well. He says you're really smart. We want to send you to the medical corps, and we want you to be an operating room assistant. And I said, no, sir. What do you got where I can jump out of airplanes? And, uh, you know, I, I ended up going into this. <laughs> what was it? Uh, <laughs> my, my MOS doesn't exist anymore. But basically, we were glorified forward observers for artillerymen and for, you know, uh, uh, the infantry with mortars and stuff like that. We would call in fire missions. That was my job. <laughs> it was great. It was it was a good. I always like to say the best thing I ever did in my life was going in the army, but the second best thing was getting out. And I think just because there's nothing wrong with the military, I'm not knocking it. But for me, there was so much more to the world than than staying in the military for 20 years. Uh, 
you know, and I'm glad, I'm glad I say it. The best thing I ever did in my life was going into the military, but the second best thing was leaving and having the life that I had, which I wouldn't change, you know, for anything. Sure, sure. But I still can't, when I read that you were, you were in the airborne, that, there's just something I can't fathom anyone volunteering to go up in a That's, plane, put a It's not for everybody, Jimmy. Neither, <laughs> it's definitely not for everybody. Neither is golf. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I have a hard time getting through 18 holes of golf. Do you so. play? Do you play golf? I've played golf maybe 10 times in my life, so I'm ter absolutely terrible at it. Uh, I've played with, you know, very close friends where we're, you know, we drink too much and we get really silly, and you know, we have silly rules where if you can't hit a pass at a certain point. You have to take your pants off and stuff like that. And then I've played with some very um, stuffy, uh, what do you call it? Very good golf players who were much, much more stuffier and less fun than that. And I had a terrible time because it took all the fun out of it. You know, I, I want to be silly. Whatever I'm doing, I want to be silly and enjoy it. If I'm taking it seriously, then it's not for me. So. I, I have a brother-in-law that came in from Texas. And he says, this is years and years and years ago. He says, uh, he, and he's a, he's a rabid, I wouldn't even say avid, he's a rabid golfer. He, this guy, if he can find a hole, he's hitting a ball into it. And uh, he says to me, he says, you want to go play golf? I said, do I look like a golfer? Yeah, I mean, really, I look like Jackie Gleason. And <laughs> he, he says, uh, come on, he says, we'll go play golf. And he, there's a golf course up on Route 1 in the, in the Bronx going into Westchester trying to think of the name of the golf course but anyway it's a public course so he says we'll go up there I said all right fine so I went out with my friends at night and I was coming home still half tanked and he's up already and dressed and I was like it's like 4 30 in the morning he says yeah we'll leave around 5 30 it's a 5 30 to, to go, go play golf to go play golf I, I said for what he says well we got to get there so we can get we can tee off we get you have to go wait online. To no, sir. That's you can count me out. I'm yeah. done already. The fun is already gone. Yeah. So you know, and they're only there for the weekend. So I, I you know, I don't care. I'm still half buzzed. So I'm gonna go. I go there, and by the time, like seven thirty rolls around, I'm already done for the day. You know, I don't, I don't want to do this. And it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. It's the only time I ever played golf. You're whacking the ball, I don't know, how many yards, 100 yards for me. He's whacking it 400 yards. And uh, then you got to go find it. It's like playing... <laughs> <laughs> it's like playing fetch without a dog. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I'm going to use that sometimes. You know, it's like... Uh, no, I don't play golf. I have golf clubs. Oh, I had them. I don't know where they are anymore. But I had, and yeah, no, I I just couldn't do that. And jumping out of a plane is on that same list. I just couldn't do that. <laughs> okay, <either. yeah. laughs> but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad. <laughs> thank you for your service. Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> and if there's ever a plane going down, I'm going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you fold your own parachute? 
no, they have riggers that do that. That's a job oh, that's, unto itself. That's another yeah. thing. I, I... That, that's all they do is they pack shoots all day. And then from what I understand, I'm not sure what it is, but I think once a month they have to jump one of their own own shoots. Yeah. So, all I know is make sure make, make sure make sure they stay sharp. All I know is I, I'm probably gonna get the guy who's pissed off at me folding my yeah. shoot. And when I jump out, <laughs> it's gonna be my underwear or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean I don't know, you you've you've led a rich life. I mean between chasing bad guys, jumping out of planes, dyslexia. Yeah, life is good. You, you, life is good. You've now writing books, and so March tenth is the new book coming out. Yes, sir. Are we going to have big fanfare about it or anything? Well, unfortunately, we we were kind of messed up with this because of all of this, um, you know, the Corona COVID nonsense, which led into the supply chain thing this was supposed to come out in november really and they started promoting it in november and then realized it wasn't going to come out and the date was changed from the printer not the publisher but the printer to december okay Mm -hmm. and then december here we are march 10th so obviously it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen and um so they kind of left us a little in fact for all three books we've been a little bit behind the eight ball with that simply because the entire world is upside down. Right. You know, right. through no fault of anybody's. It's not our fault. It's not the printer's fault. It's not everybody likes to lay blame. It's just no, the it's, way things it's are. It's just, right, it's the world. Correct. So, you know, like for when we had Sister Margaret come out, we actually had a big tour where we were going to go do book signings, and there were some conventions down in Louisiana, and I think Chicago we were supposed to go to, but then all of a sudden they were all shut down. Couldn't go. You know, done. Yeah. Um, and... You know that was that was the world everybody was living in so i can't bitch or complain about that it's too it's unfortunate but um you know luckily it kind of took off on its own anyway so uh yeah could we have sold more books could we be more popular i'm sure we could have but we had no idea what we were getting into to begin with also it was quite possible that because everybody else was hurting it gave us a more fair playing field with the bigger people right if that you know there's very that's that's quite possible that being you know as small as we were, we weren't trampled by all the bigger uh, uh, publishers, the bigger writers, or whatever, because everybody was hurt. You know, so maybe maybe it worked out to our benefit. I, I, to tell you the truth, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you, but um, I already lost track of what your original question was. <laughs> but no, there won't no, there won't be any big fanfare other than it's already being you know advertised and put out in in the trade publications and things like that. For you know, it's not really my end of things. But uh, they do do stuff like, you know, you may see it on Instagram or like, there's a thing. Bookstagram is a big thing. Really? And um, your book re- your book readers will know it. It's kind of um, separate from Instagram where it's all the, the silly fan. Look at me. You know, look at what I'm doing today thing. This is Bookstagram is part of Instagram, but it's everybody that's into books. Oh. And they say, this is what I've read. This is what I've read. There's another thing called Goodreads, which is terrific, and we do very well on that, where people read our stuff and they post reviews on it, and, and that leads to other people of like minds. Because right. hey, if I like if I like what Jimmy's reading, you know, if you and I are of like minds, well, yeah, he liked it, so I'm gonna like it. Yeah, Goodreads, it kind of I know spreads... about. Yes, and Bookstagram is a very similar thing. It's it's not a separate thing from Instagram. It's just what the book people call themselves. They call themselves bookstagrammers, and it's a very cool little thing, and we do tremendously well on there. So 
they actually put ads up for that and it goes all you know all around the world um but again not not really my end of things but i know that it's being done but there won't be any giant still no giant signings or tours or anything at the moment well so. well but that will change now where can people find your books they can find them luckily everywhere okay so when i say everywhere every every bookstore can carry it it may not be on the shelves but you can order it at every bookstore Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, those are the big ones. Uh, Amazon, of course, has it. Um, as, far, as far as, you know, pushing anything, what I will say about Amazon is that it's got the free delivery, and sometimes it's sometimes you can buy a hardcover cheaper than a paperback. I don't know what kind of games they play with their pricing, but they'll do, you know, sometimes two-for-one deals. I always say go to Amazon first just because it's cheaper and quicker for you, the customer, you know? And um, but it's, it's available anywhere that you buy books. It's also available on Kindle, right? Absolutely, yeah. Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. We do all we all do all the different formats, other than the um, audio books. We haven't done that yet. I was gonna. I was that's just gonna that's, ask you. Yeah, that's something that's being talked about right now, because um, again, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a different expense. Uh, and now they're doing it differently too, because it used to be it went on CD, and they don't do that anymore. Now it just streams. Yeah, and, you know, some people say I should read it in exactly, you know, but other people say, oh, you should get an actor to do it. We don't know what we're doing yet, but it, it is something that's in the works. How's that? You put it this way. You have the voice for it. You, you know, you have that, you, know, you have that cop vernacular. Because <laughs> right, well, it's real. Yeah, Although, exactly. of course, when I hear myself, I think I sound like a complete moron. No, but, see, um, you have I that... think we all do that. You know, yeah, we well, all hate our own voices. Please. It took me a year to start the podcast. I would. Oh, you couldn't get over it. You couldn't. I, honest to God, it took me a year. I had the I had the setup. It was set up in my den, and I would I would do it and I'd start, and I'd do a whole episode, and I'd listen to it and go, "Wow, I sound like you a real it. ass," and right. I'd erase it and I'd wait a week and do it again. I did that for a year. Oh wow! And then finally, I said, "Well, I'm going to try it and see what happens." Then I got hate mail. <laughs> did you? I did. I did. <laughs> but no, you have the voice for it. You you sound you sound like a cop. I, I you know when I first spoke to you on the phone, I was like, I feel like I'm getting pulled over. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like I was digging for my license and registration as soon as you said hello. You know, but you had That's that fun. you had that vernacular and you telling the story. I could I could hear you telling it these stories reading these books yeah well we'll, we'll see we'll yeah. see if i keep getting encouraged i just might do it I, i'm telling Although you that would be an awful lot of reading for me though oh you do it you don't have to do it all in one shot i i've done i've done voiceovers for people that were like a chapter long and if i could i i take a week to do it for a chapter yeah. and you could for a book you could take a month to do it you do yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh no, you can. You you don't have to do that all in one shot, and you then it gets edited anyway. But yeah, you're right. It is it is show business in the end. So it exactly. is exactly you know pieced and put together. It sounds like you did it all in yeah, one we'll shot see. when it's we'll done. But your voice, you you got the voice for it. Matter of fact, you might want to start a podcast. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, I'll think about that, Jimmy. Maybe you, I will. You might Maybe want to start. Start like the the five O podcast. Yeah. 
I'm telling you, that, Travis, it's been a pleasure. It's it's been a true pleasure talking with you, I'm, Jimmy. This was a lot. More, this this was really fun. I really enjoyed talking to you today. It, it really was. It it was, and I I learned a lot. I learned a lot, truth truthfully, especially about the police department insurance. I I never realized that. But well, again, I I would like again to just to give the disclaimer that you know. No, I'm not, I said it may not be accurate, but it's the way I understand them to work. I'm not saying it's written in stone, but it's just something to think about from you know from someone who knows. And plus, I learned about why someone that seems reasonably intelligent would jump out of a plane. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's got to do it, my yeah, friend. Yeah, somebody has to do it. I guess, I guess. But I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being here with us today. I want to. I'm sure my my listeners are happy listening to this. And, and again. I want to just stress, especially for anyone who doesn't realize, even though we're disabled, we don't just talk about disability all the time. And that's why I wanted to have Travis on to talk about these books, because these books are excellent, and you have to get these books. They're quick reads, they're fast reads, and believe me, they'll have you sleeping at night with the light on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully they're entertaining. They, well, they are. They are entertaining once you're done. But when you're reading it, you're so engrossed in the book. Believe me, you'll sleep at night with the lights on. But it's a fun read. <laughs> it's a very fun read. It's better than anything on TV. Trust me when I tell you that. But well, that's what they say. The book is always better, right? It, always, always, except for The Godfather. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> now. For anyone that's interested, I'm going to have this in the show notes. There'll be links to where you can find these books. And Travis, is there a link where people can get in touch with you if they have questions? Well, everything can go through bullypress.com. Okay. All right. And they'll, you know, we have to do that just because that's the way, you know, we're contracted with them, blah, 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 blah. So everything goes through there. Um, And yeah, I mean, if anybody is, you know, listening that has a book, book, shop in the northeast and or california where my sister lives let us know we love to come by you know we've been to the, to my local barnes and noble a couple of times um and some other smaller places right now we're not doing any big tours but if anybody's interested yeah please contact us we like to talk to people anyway we're, we're, we're really enjoying what we're doing it's all new to us it's all fun to, to us and we love contacting or, or getting in contact with our fans so yeah please reach out if you want to Definitely, and that that address will be in the show notes for this podcast. So if you want to get in touch with Travis or his sister Natasha, probably Natasha. Get in touch with Natasha. (laughs) 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 Well, no, if you want to get in touch with Travis or Natasha. Well, she's the smarter one and the better looking one, so get in touch with Natasha. There you go. I didn't want to say that, but (laughs) (laughs) if you want to get in touch with Travis and Natasha, I'll have the links in the show notes for this podcast. But whatever you do, check out these books. And on March 10th, what's the name of the book again for March 10th? Jenny Black. Jenny, Jenny Black, Black is the new one. Yeah, check the first out. one is Sister Margaret. The first in the series is Sister Margaret. Then Hayden John Marshall. Then Jenny Black. Check out Jenny Black on March 10th. Well, check them all out. Get them all. You'll have reading for a week. So get them all. Get all these books. Sister Margaret, Hayden John Black, or Hayden, um, Hayden John Marshall, and Jenny Black. Get them all. And Travis, I know we'll be talking to you again in the future because you have so many things in the fire right now. 
Well, well I, I hope so, Jimmy. I've really enjoyed this. You're, you're a fun guy to talk to. Oh, you are. Uh, it's, like, it's like being just with a regular guy in the neighborhood. I really appreciate it. No, I, I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate it so much you coming on, and I'm sorry for the delay that we had. And I want to I wanna thank you especially because this is our 250th episode, and you came through for me. You really well, came through. Well, let me tell you, it's an honor for me that I was chosen to be on such a milestone. Uh, that worked out great for the both of us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'll talk to you again. Yes, sir. All the best. Take care. All right, take care. I'd like to thank Travis for being a part of our 250th episode and being here with us today. And I want to thank you, the listener, for being here with us and being here with us for all 250 episodes. We're going to be here for a lot more. So thank you. Thank you with all my heart. I really appreciate it. And I want to remind you, my friends, I want to remind you things can always be worse. No matter what, Right now, there's somebody somewhere wishing that they were in your position so things can always be worse. Remember that, my friends. Hey, we've been together for 250 episodes. We're going to be together for a long time. So take care of yourselves, and I'll be back real soon with another episode. We're going to start on another 250 more episodes. So I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to An Apple A Day. My name is Jimmy Apple. Thanks for listening to An Apple A Day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.